0: We again welcome those who are visiting among us, and today we conclude our five-week series looking at the mothers in Jesus' genealogy. Today, turning to Luke chapter 1, 26 is where we'll begin. We'll read through verse 38, and then Matthew 1, verses 1 and 16. Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. Hear now the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. It was the end of October, I think just before Reformation Day, Halloween, <laughs> I had our two-year-old in our favorite shop to go to. I, I don't like to shop. Maybe you do. My favorite shop to go to, this might really surprise you or it might disappoint you, is Menards. If I, if I can't find it at Menards, I might as well not go. They've got grape nuts. They've got all sorts of needs for the, the yard. And in this, in this case, It was a rake we were looking for, for raking leaves, of course. This is the end of October. Around the corner, our two-year-old is startled, and I am too, and he starts crying when he sees a very live-looking, moving Santa Claus. And it was so real-looking that it just kind of startled both of us. Why do I bring that up? Because there's a lot of stuff going around this time of year and before and after, all about different holiday things, right? There's a lot of cultural confusion out there. The reason for the season, what's going on here? Even as Christians, we can lose track of these things, which is why in our series in these weeks together, we've looked at Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and now Mary to see really what the Bible is all about. And we learn in this series that the Bible is about the promises of God to save a sinful people for himself, through Christ, that the first Christmas is actually back in Genesis 3, the promise of a Savior to come, and we've seen the abounding grace of God for sinners. Today we look at a passage by Dr. Luke. Do you know that Luke was a doctor, kids? Very careful and precise, and his gospel is an eyewitness account about Christ, and that's what we need today. If you're an unbeliever, we're glad you're here. You need Christ. If you're a believer rejoicing in the Lord today, you need more of Christ. If you're weary and downcast and sick and afflicted and depressed and struggling, you need Christ. I need Christ. We see that today in first, how Mary is visited by an angel. History matters. Luke is precise as a writer. And one man writes this. It was March 15, 44 B.C., the Ides of March. Julius Caesar, the dictator of the Roman Republic, was assassinated. His will named his great-nephew Octavius as his successor. Octavius had victories over Mark Antony and Cleopatra. He was called high priest of the Roman religion, son of God, Augustus, Meaning majestic. So he was known as Caesar Augustus. He reigned from 27 BC to fourteen AD. He was ruthless. In 4 BC, Judah was added to the foreign province of Syria, with Quirinius being appointed governor. What did this mean for Judah? We looked at him back in the beginning of our series. What did this mean for the land of Judea? As we saw in the sermon last week, God promised David an everlasting throne. But at this point, one of David's sons was not on the throne. It was an imposter, a man named Herod the Great. Herod was a madman. He killed half of his family, several of his own sons, his wife. He created a secret police. He led a mob to slaughter people. The civilized world at the time in which the angel Gabriel comes to a teenage girl in the backwater of Nazareth was in turmoil. It was being ruled by Caesar Augustus and a puppet king named Herod. It was dark. And into this darkness comes an announcement that one would be born to this young girl who was probably 12 or 13 or 14 kids, a similar age to some of you that she would bear a child who would be the light of the world. This is good news of great joy for all the peoples. And the text tells us it had been six months since this same angel had visited Elizabeth's cousin, uh, Mary's cousin Elizabeth. Gabriel is his name. He's one of only two angels named in the Bible, along with Michael. Gabriel visited Daniel 600 years before this. When Gabriel comes, he brings messages. He delivers the gospel. And that's what happens here. Mary, you are one who is favored, he says. There's been a lot of confusion about this phrase. The Latin Vulgate translates Luke one twenty eight as full of grace rather than highly favored. See why that's a big problem? Mary is not full of grace. We don't pray to Mary. She doesn't give grace to anyone. Mary's a sinner. Mary needs a Savior, the Savior that she will carry. Mary is favored. Not like, okay, will you do me a favor and run off and shovel my driveway this week? But the language of favor means receiving grace not dispensing it. Exceptional, overwhelming grace. The same word used in Ephesians 1, that God has blessed us and freely given us grace in the beloved, in Christ. Mary didn't merit God's favor. She was loved by God, sovereignly and graciously chosen by God for an amazing task. She was a believer in the one true God. Gabriel says, grace to you, Mary. You are the object of grace. You're visited by an angel. You're 12 years old, girls. What are you going to (laughs) say? She's bewildered. She's puzzled. The angel says, don't be afraid. I'm here to tell you that the promises God has made for thousands of years are about to be fulfilled. You're expecting, Mary, It's a boy. No ultrasounds then. I'm going to name him for you, Mary. No debating with Joseph on the way to the hospital. We did that for our kids a couple times. His name is Jesus, Mary. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the greater Joshua. Jesus, the one who was predicted in the Old Testament. Grace has come down, Mary. And the connection here is remarkable. You are going to enjoy grace, Mary, and the child you bear will be that one who gives you grace. Grace is not like some sort of magical dust or substance that's pumped into us. Grace comes to us in a person. It's personal. It's in Christ. We are in Adam in a state of demerit before God. Adam, our federal head, our first father, plunged every human into total depravity, sin, and death. He broke the covenant of works. Christ, the last Adam, is coming to achieve a perfect righteousness, to die a cursed death, to rise again, to merit our salvation. The gospel is about that, the free gift of God in Christ. It's in contrast to every effort we make in our sin to try to earn God's favor. The Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. He sustains you in Christ. He conforms you to the image of Christ. You rest and receive the benefits of Christ. Grace is that blessing of everything that we have in Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're struggling with doubt, if you struggled this week with sin, how do you see God today? Do you see what God has done to deal with our sin? You are not beyond the grace and love of God. God's word calls you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. To repent and believe and be renewed again and refreshed again in Christ today. His name is Jesus. This is quite a birth announcement. Unlike any that we've ever sent out. He's great, greater than anyone who has come before. He's son of the Most High. Caesar Augustus is an imposter, His throne is eternal. Herod will die. In fact, he will die this very year, 4 B.C. Herod, in shock after a lunar eclipse, is dead. The kingdom of Herod will be divided among his three tyrannical sons. Not this king. Every other king dies. Their kingdoms crumble. But Jesus, who is holy and perfect, sits on the throne of David forever and ever. That's what angel, the angel said to Mary. And now, verse 34, what would you say? She says, well, how is this to be? I'm a virgin. I don't understand. I'm betrothed to Joseph, but we not, have not yet had marital relations. Kids, this is God's will for you. This is not the main point of the text, but it's a very important application. God's will for you girls is to remain a virgin until, if the Lord wills, you marry a Christian boy. God's will for you boys is that you remain a virgin and one day, if you are to be married, marry a Christian girl. Girls, that's who you are, a girl created in God's image, loved by God. Boys, you are a boy made in God's image, loved by God. God doesn't make mistakes. If you've already sinned in this area, before you've been married, or for all of us who have sinned in breaking the seventh commandment in different ways, God's grace comes and brings renewal, refreshment, and repentance. Mary, this birth won't come about by ordinary human generation, but by an unparalleled action of the Holy Spirit, this fulfills what Isaiah said 700 years before. The virgin will be with child and will have a son. And they will call him, as Dale prayed a while ago, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. One day, C.S. Lewis was sitting in his office There were people singing Christmas carols about the virgin birth outside, and an unbeliever came in to talk to C.S. Lewis. He said to him, Isn't it good that we now know better than they knew then? Lewis said, Well, what do you mean? Isn't it good that we now know that virgins don't have babies? C.S. Lewis looked at him, Don't you think they knew that? That's the whole point. This is a miracle. God does it. We can't explain it. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of darkness at the first creation, when the world was made by God's word, now the same Holy Spirit overshadows Mary as God is sending his Son into the darkness of this fallen world to bring a new creation. The Holy Spirit does something here. Otherwise, Jesus would be born like all of us, sinners, right? But we need one who's not a sinner. We need a perfect and better last Adam. This doctrine of the incarnation, John 1 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son became incarnate, meaning in flesh. The word became flesh. We don't expect those things. We can't produce those things. That means He became fully human with a body like yours, kids, but without sin, with hair and a nose and feet. But not just a body, but a real human soul. If the Son, Jesus, came. To just inhabit a soul, your body is lost. If he just took on a body, your soul is lost. He had to take on both. The word didn't come into existence. The word didn't become God. The word is God. He didn't pretend to borrow a body. He didn't take someone else's body and inhabit it for a while. He didn't turn into a human. You see how these things matter? The word became flesh. Not like Lot's wife. She became a pillar of salt and ceased to be Lot's wife. The second person of the Trinity, Liam Gallagher says, assumes human nature without laying aside the divine. It's a mystery, it's a glory. He didn't stop being God. He became what he was not without ceasing to be what he is. He didn't mix up the natures. He didn't have flesh before that, body and soul. He always has flesh now forever. Who is Jesus? One divine person with two natures. This is the hinge on which Christianity turns. No incarnation, no Christianity. No virgin birth, no good news. It's the central event in the history of the earth, along with the cross and resurrection. It's the very thing the whole story of the Bible has been about. He is the God-man, truly God, truly man. His divine nature is eternal, his human nature is temporal, When we speak of what Jesus does, we say Jesus did this or that according to his human or divine nature as you read the Gospels. Not that his human nature did this or his divine nature did that. This is precise language. Why? Because Satan has always attempted to attack the church in this way about the person of Christ. Either denying the true humanity of Christ or denying the deity of Christ. First John deals with some of that. So kids, Jesus is formed in the womb of the Virgin Mary with a real body and soul. He had the real DNA of Mary. The Holy Spirit did that through Mary. He had an umbilical cord. He wasn't an angel. He cried when he was a baby. It's a virgin conception. See that? The birth was very ordinary. He was born as you were born and I virgin conception his body grew at one point kids he was a young boy like some of you then he became a teenager then a grown man he possessed a human heart and human mind without sin he was tempted in every way without sin he can sympathize with you when you are afflicted and suffering that doesn't mean God is far from you Actually, it's the solidarity of Christ that's closer with you in that moment than at any other time. He's Himself able to understand because He's beset with weakness, Hebrews 5 2. The deeper you go into weakness, the deeper is Christ's care for you. He knows you are but dust, He knows we are sinners, that by nature we're slaves of sin. That's why the virgin birth matters. It's central to the gospel. We need a mediator. Someone to go between us as sinners and a holy God. If Jesus wasn't a real man, we're still in our sins. Because God is just. God's justice demands that the same human nature that sinned against God must make full satisfaction for sin. Jesus had to be sinless. That's why the Holy Spirit does this. Jesus had to be truly God because only God could bear the wrath of God against our sin. Behold the God man, conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary as an embryo, still upholding the world at the same time. Glory of glories. That's what the angel Gabriel tells Mary in verse 35. (laughs) There's much more that we just said because there's much more to this. But how does Mary respond? Well, she hears news that she maybe hadn't heard before. You see that in verse 36? This angel tells her, Elizabeth is also pregnant. I don't think that Mary knew that until this point. Elizabeth, who is a descendant of Aaron and David. Mary, who is of Davidic descent, fulfilling the promises of God. Elizabeth, who is barren, joining other barren women in the Bible like Sarah and Tamar and Ruth. Not only a barren woman, but now a virgin will have a child. And how, verse 37, does this verse tell us to respond to this? Nothing will be impossible with God. You have a child who's not walking with the Lord, a grandchild who has hardened their heart. You're struggling deeply with doubt. Nothing is impossible with God. You're struggling to know Christ and his love for you. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary says, let it be. Oh, let it be. Not the Beatles song. They do sing about Mary in that song, don't they? Let it be, meaning she trusts God in faith and she acts in obedience. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Her identity, then, in this age that we live in, identity is a big deal for teenagers and for middle age and for adults. The culture says you get your identity by your gender or your race or your politics or your nationality or your sexual experiences or your income or your brain or your degree, Kevin DeYoung says, or your house or your family. See how messed up that is? Biblical identity starts here. I am the servant of the Lord, Mary says. You get that right, the other things follow. She doesn't say, I am the Lord. She says, I'm a servant. Not I'm a servant of my employer, first of all, but of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will, she says in humility. That language, Mary is a servant. The Bible speaks of servants. In her womb is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. At this point, Mary couldn't have understood how costly this would be for Christ. Simeon would tell her, A soul will pierce your soul too, Mary. All her life, she would bear the burden of knowing that her son was suffering and going to die for her sins and the sins of all of his people. After the birth of Christ, Herod, the seed of the serpent, would try to kill this Christ child. So Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt. It's a life of suffering. But she trusts in God and she rejoices, secondly, in her salvation. Dear Christian, Christianity is not just knowing the theology of the incarnation, as important as that is, it's not less than knowing good theology. But it's trusting Christ personally. It's loving him dearly. It's being humbled and rejoicing in him and worshiping the one true triune God. And that's where this text leads next. Sometime after the angel tells her of the miraculous conception, Mary packs up, leaves home and family and friends for three months. She's young. Can you imagine? She's gone. She's pregnant. She faces ostracism, personal danger. She would be potentially accused of adultery and stoned to death. She's under the assaults of Satan. Mary is ground zero in Satan's bullseye right now. He is trying to destroy her and the child. We see that through Herod. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. She takes a 60 to 80 mile journey from the backwoods of Nazareth to the home of her cousin Elizabeth who at this point has been pregnant for three months. This is remarkable that a 12 or 13-year-old girl is pregnant at the same time as a woman who is old enough to be her great-grandmother. Imagine that, kids. Nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth, the text says, recognizes immediately... Mary and the baby in her womb. How does she know that? Verse 41. The Holy Spirit. Not only that, but the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy at the presence of Mary and the baby. How does John the Baptist know that? The Holy Spirit. Just like the angel Gabriel had said to Zechariah, John the Baptist will be filled in the womb with the Holy Spirit of God. Elizabeth sings a song of rejoicing, the first Christmas song. Elizabeth is a hinge. This is the time of the old covenant passing away and the new covenant coming and being fulfilled. This is a great point in redemptive history. In Elizabeth's womb is the greatest and the last old covenant prophet, John the Baptist. In the fullness of time, God is about to change the course of human history forever. The next three decades are the most important decades in all of history, and they're about to begin. And in this, God, in his grace, is providing young Mary with a spiritual aunt. That's how Ligon Duncan puts it. Mary's alone. She's afraid, but God brings her to her cousin Elizabeth. And so it is in the church. Kessie, who joined today, is such a good example of this. Caring for her grandparents. Older generations of women investing in the lives of you younger women, teenagers and young moms. That's crucial in the life of the church. Also, older men and younger men loving one another, discipling one another, spending time together with one another, learning from one another. What a blessing it is, kids, isn't it, when you're with an older Christian or young moms and young dads, someone who has lived life, who has been through what you're going through now with young kids and sleepless nights and anxieties on the job and sicknesses. and What a blessing just to have them there, just to be present with them, just to have coffee with them, just to have them listen to you. Mary herself responds to Elizabeth's song with her own song. The second Christmas song. Mary is a woman of the word of God. So that when the time comes, the word that she has treasured in her heart comes out of her tongue. This song is filled with scriptures from the Old Testament. Songs, like Moses' song, like Hannah's song, like Psalm 34. All over the place, Mary has hid these words in her heart. That's where this Magnificat, which we heard today in the call to worship, comes from. Meaning, she's magnifying God. She's enjoying God. What does that sound like? Sinclair Ferguson says, the first verse of the Magnificat, verse 46... My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Sounds a lot like the first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There's a deep connection here. Do you see how she sings about God's grace? As Kevin DeYoung says, No humble brag here. She doesn't go on Twitter and say, hashtag going to be the mother of the Messiah. She never mentions that she's going to give birth to Christ. She's giving praise to God. She's enjoying God. She has a big vision of God. God. The hope of glory for her and for you is the wonder that by the Holy Spirit Christ is dwelling in you now. That God is answering cries by giving the gift of his Son and the gift of his Spirit. And that humbles us. The gift of the gospel leads to a life of humility and thanksgiving. Mary says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant, verse 48. Here's a practical question for us this Christmas. Kevin DeYoung asks, Do we go through our days thinking, Why have I gotten such a raw deal in life? From my parents, my school, my government, from God? Or whatever struggles and suffering we face, and tears that come, and lament, do we say, God has been kind to me. God has blessed me. Yes, this grief is great. I'm crying out in lament, but my lament leads me to praise God. Humility is walking through life with this profound realization, God has given me a lot more than I deserve. And the people that magnify the Lord are the people that are made humble by the Lord. Great things he has done for me, Mary says. Her humility is also coupled with a fear of the Lord. We live in a world with a lot of fear. DeYoung says, maybe your fears are deep down and they come out in the bitter moments of life. Maybe then they kind of avalanche to those around you. Maybe your fears are at the surface. You think, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Maybe you have a fear of disappointing your parents. Maybe you fear becoming your parents. Maybe you fear your children turning from you or turning from the Lord. Friends betraying you, not having friends. Not having a spouse or having a spouse that you right now are struggling with. Not having kids. All of these fears are perhaps in different hearts at different times Real humility says, God has blessed me more than I deserve. Healthy fear says, God, you're big, and I'm not. God's mercy extends to those who fear him. That's a reverence. That's a trust in the Lord. An awe of the greatness of God. A recognition of the beauty of the love of God. Taking God's word seriously. And then Mary says, he fills the hungry with good things. This Christmas time, kids, maybe you'll have a present you open and you'll really like it, but then you'll get tired of it. You'll have a meal that you enjoy, but then the meal goes and life goes on. It never lives up to the hype, does it? Why? Because we're made for something more. We're made to hope in something more. In regard to relationships, maybe this Christmas is an empty time, a lonely time. Maybe it's harder than a year ago. Maybe your life is more complicated. Your sufferings and afflictions are greater. Your financial situation is precarious. Your health has suffered. If your future is dark, if the weight of the world is crushing you, if you're lonely or discouraged, if your sins have driven you from God, if you struggle to get out of bed, if your enemies are assailing you, if you feel alone, this is why God has come. This is why God has sent his only begotten son into the world. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to fulfill his covenant promises to Adam and Eve and Abraham. And if anyone is hungry today, Jesus says, come, Feed on Christ the bread of life. If anyone is thirsty today, the word of God says, come and take the water of life freely. Come and pray with Mary. God, help me to know more of Christ this Christmas. Come, Jesus, and be my strength, my wisdom, my life, my righteousness, my justification. In Christ, you will find a fullness like the light in the sun or the water in the ocean. In Christ, you will find infinite, inexhaustible, bottomless grace for thirsty, guilty souls, and it won't run dry. There is no drought. The level of God's water of grace is overflowing for you, Christian. What do we need this Christmas? We need the gospel We need the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of God. We need Jesus. We need to have our eyes open to behold his beauty, to worship him from our hearts, to remember his covenant-keeping faithfulness from generation to generation. And so with Mary, let us Emmaus Road magnify the Lord and rejoice in God, our Savior. Amen.